first set. Hey, good morning. Hey, you are out there. Good morning. So good to see you today. Uh, welcome. If, you're, if you are a visitor with us this morning, we want to welcome you to Cherokee Baptist Church. Um, so glad that you've chosen to come and worship with us today. Uh, we do have quite a few visitors. We're so glad you're here. Um, there's not a visitor card in the pew anywhere around you, and if you are so inclined, there's actually a QR code in the bulletin. If you know how to scan one of those, then just when that web, web page comes up, scroll down to the bottom. There's a place where you can let us know that you were here. We promise not to harass you. We just want to know that you're here. And if there's any, any kind of uh, contact you need to make with us, you can let us know about that as well. But we're so glad you're here. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad. And it's, it's a great day. Um, I did want to point out one thing. You'll see it here in just a minute. And this is... It gets me excited every time. Uh, normally, we have, after two songs, we're going to have a, a children's sermon or we're going to watch a video if it has to, if it's that time of the year to do some kind of missional emphasis. You notice in the bulletin it says pastoral prayer, but we get to baptize Caden White today. And, and I'm really excited about that. So um, it, is a, it is a great day. Uh, it, there's a few announcements I just need to make. One, uh, next Sunday is our monthly business meeting. Uh, and so the agenda for the meeting is posted on the bulletin board in the foyer. And if there's anything you need to add to the agenda, just make sure you talk to me before Wednesday. I do want to point out uh, one thing that's, that's on the agenda. And uh, it's determining as a church uh, to what level do we want to participate in like associational, uh, association life, state Southern Baptist life, national Southern Baptist life, because there are meetings coming up that we can send delegates to. And we just need to, to be able to gauge um, your interest in how involved we want to be in these particular areas. So if you have thoughts on that, or if you want to do some research on that, if you have any questions, you make sure you let me know. But that's the big ticket item that I know that's going to be on next week's business meeting agenda. Um, it is, I think, uh, we've got a couple more weeks uh, to gather Arctic Barnabas uh, blessing box items. If you're interested in donating to that, again, out in the foyer, there is on the wall a list of things that they request. And uh, we'll send those out around October 15th. So if you'll go get your donations, bring them back, put them in that box, that'll be great. And uh, thankfully, last week after church, we had someone who said, I'll step up and, and take Candace's place and help and get those uh, blessing boxes uh, going. So we're thankful for that as well. Uh, Operation Christmas Child. Just seems like there's something going on all the time, and, that, and that's great. Uh, last year, we sent over 300 Operation Christmas Child boxes, and that is tremendous. I mean, look around. We're not, we're not big, but, man, we, we, we decide to do something. We can do something big, and we praise God for that. The Women of the Word are planning to fill as many shoeboxes as possible at the end of October. So if you want these women to shop for you, just make sure that you donate um, to that and designate it uh, as Operation Christmas Child, or you can give the donation directly to Kayla Forehand. Uh, one final thing before I see if there's anything else that you want to mention. Um, we're, we're still emphasizing... Our uh, Reach Texas offering, we're not going to do a video this morning, but I did want to pass along to you. Our goal is $4,000, and given to date, and this is the first Sunday of October, $5,600. So if you have not had a chance to give yet, just because we met the goal doesn't mean that you take a deep breath. No, we can use whatever the Lord lays on your heart to give. So be sure to do that. There's envelopes in the in the pew if you would like to designate in that way. Uh, but praise God for how he has uh, caused the hearts of his people to uh, respond to the call to give to missions. All right, Sam, you're standing up. Do you have an announcement? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir.
Okay. Okay, All right. just one month. The rest of the time, it's go into your office, don't come out. No. Um, so if you didn't hear what Sam said, Pastor Appreciation Month is, is in October. And on the fifth Sunday, which this is the fifth Sunday month, we, will have, we won't take the Lord's Supper um, on this fifth Sunday. Uh, we will take it next month um, as we normally do in, around Thanksgiving. But we'll have a meal um, and I guess that's when there'll be some pastor appreciation stuff take place. And then come back after lunch. And hopefully everything is lined out to where um, after lunch we can ordain some new deacons. So thank you, Sam. Anything else? All right, would you stand? We're going to read all together our call to worship. And our call to worship today comes from Romans chapter 11. It's verses 33 to 36. So we'll all read together. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift, given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen let's worship i know y'all probably don't know this but normally every week we have stuff in our ears and we're not using them today we want to hear you guys sing we also have music sitting here that we stare at and we're not using it today so if i mess up then hallelujah we're just going to worship God together, so let's sing.
baptizing Caden White. Um, in, in the Baptist church, there are two ordinances that we observe. One is the Lord's Supper, and the other is baptism. Who can get baptized? Uh, we believe as Baptists that, that only believers may be baptized. We don't baptize children. We, we only baptize believers. Uh, why does a person get baptized? A person gets baptized as a public step of obedience. It's their first public step of obedience. Uh, there's nothing special about this water. Um, Caden is already saved. There, if he were to if he were to have never made it to baptismal waters, he's saved. There's nothing special about this. Um, this doesn't complete something. Um, Caden is, as he has professed faith in Christ Jesus, fully a child of God. Um, but this that we do is his first public step of obedience. A baptism is symbolic. You'll hear when I baptize Caden, I will say, buried with him by baptism into death. So baptism illustrates the union of a Christian with the Savior. So Jesus died for my sins, for Caden's sins. And Jesus was buried as proof that he actually died for those sins. And so when I lower Caden in the water, you, you see it, it pictures someone being buried. 
And that just as Christ died and Christ was buried, Caden died with Christ and was buried with Christ. But Christ did not stay dead. I'll pull Caden up out of the water and I'll say raised to walk in newness of life. In other words, Christ was resurrected. So just as Caden has died with Christ, was buried with Christ, he's resurrected. And now he is a, he's a new person. The old is gone, the Bible says. The new has come. He is a new creation. Baptism takes place in water, which also symbolizes the fact that each and every one of us, in order to approach a holy God, must be washed clean of all our sin, all our transgression, all our iniquity. And by the blood of Christ, that washing takes place. So that, having professed faith in a perfect Savior, a person knows, Caden can know, that all of his sins have been washed clean. And one day he will stand before a holy God dressed in the righteousness of Christ. So we're going to baptize Caden today. Come on down, bud. It's not bad. Well, this is Caden White. Caden, you're 10 years old. Okay, a while back, Caden uh, came and he said, you know, I want to talk to you about baptism. And, and we didn't get together immediately. Um, you know, mom and dad, I appreciate what mom and dad did. They said, we want to make sure that we see um, that, that God is beginning to produce change, that he understands what's going on. So I had an opportunity on Wednesday night after church uh, to meet with Caden. And this young man has an incredible grasp of the gospel. I asked him lots of questions. And he even asked a, a, a question that um, helped me really understand that this guy gets it. He, he said this. He said, so because I get to go to heaven, does that mean that, that Jesus is in hell? Now, I realize that there are, there are creeds of, of the church that say that Christ descended into hell. But he understands that in order for him to go to heaven, Christ had to take his punishment. So, so he went all the way to the logical end. Christ must be in hell. I said, no, buddy, he's not there. He's not there. But, but he took hell for you. And so this young man understands the gospel. I am so thankful uh, to have had this time together uh, on Wednesday to, to visit with him. So now without further ado, brother, let's baptize you. Caden, you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Have you placed your faith and trust in him and in him alone for salvation? Do you commit from this point forward to live your whole life to glorify him? And Caden, upon your profession of faith of Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, buried with him by baptism and death, raised to walk in newness of life. Turn in your copy of God's words to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. All right. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all have... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. 
for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as we sing these next two songs, I love that, love, love, love that passage. Being an old English teacher, I thought I talked old English, but um, there are two words in there that I've heard sermons, sermon series built upon, but God. And the word but is a conjunction. It means forget everything that happened before this word. What's important is what comes after this word. We were lost, we're hopeless, destitute without God, but God. Let's stand together and let's sing. I welcome you. If you need to sit, then sit. If you need to get on your face before God, then get on your face before God. Whatever it is you need to do. But we're going to sing this song together.
underserved. And while we were doing what we wanted to do, and we were sinful and rebelling against you and shaking our fist at you, you sent your son to die for us. And so redeeming love will be our theme until we die. Be glorified in this place today, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ alone and by the power of his blood, we pray. Amen. If you would, please take your copy of God's Word. Turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. If you did not bring... A Bible with you. You should find a Bible in the pew. It's black, hardback. Turn to the back of the Bible. Find page 16. And you will be at Matthew chapter 20. We're currently in a sermon series called His Glorious Grace. So you can tell it's about grace. Um, My prayer for us, for me, is that when we think of God's grace, um, however we show emotion, some of us show it through tears, smiles, laughter, whatever it is, that whenever you think of God's grace, lavishly showered upon the believer, you personally, personalize it, that whatever emotion you show, you'd show it. You just can't help. You just can't help but think His glorious grace, all, all for me. And, and He did do that. The title of this morning's message is The Master's Gracious Work. I would ask that you please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And this is God's Word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them for their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came... They thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Let's pray. Father, in this parable, we see your tremendous grace. Help it to shine brightly. Lord, help us to see it in its glory. Lord, we do pray, if there are any here, that they do not know Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. They have not had the privilege of experiencing saving grace. That today, through the preaching of your word, through preaching the gospel, that they might understand their need for Jesus Christ. And what will happen to them apart from his gracious work. So, Father, call the lost to yourself. Lord, encourage the saved. And Lord, let us do it all for your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Three most important words in real estate. 
Location, location, location. Three most important words in Bible study. Bring your Bible. You need, you need to have your Bible. If you're going to study, you've got, you've got to have it. But once you have it, the next three most important words are context, context, context. So we have to look at the previous section because you notice that verse 20 starts with the three-letter word for, which means it's connected to the verses previous to it. I won't take time to read it, but there was a rich man that came to Jesus and said, What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said, Which ones? And he told him. And the young man said, I've kept all of these things from my youth. And then Jesus said, Well, if you want to be perfect... And go, sell all you have, come follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the guy went away, sad. And the disciples were uh, a little perturbed by this. They were a little uneased by this. Because Christ said, in verse 23, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of God. And then he talks about the camel going through the eye of a needle. It's easier for that to happen than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were blown away. It says they were astonished. And they asked this question. Who then can be saved? Important question. And Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then Peter mentions how uh, they had left everything behind. And then he asked the second question. What then will there be for us? Jesus says, if you follow me, your reward is going to be greater than what you could have ever earned in this life. So if we break it down, we have a rich man coming to Jesus saying, and listen to how I emphasize this, what must I do? All these things I have kept, what do I still lack? Well, then Jesus pointed out the problem, and the man went away sad. That's what happened with the rich man. The disciples then, in all of this, they asked two really important questions. And the first one is, who then can be saved? And I think the reason uh, that they're struggling with this is because there's this belief that if you are rich, that you are in favor with God. And he's trying to tell them, no, it's not riches. Riches are not an indicator of God's favor. The man said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not about perfect obedience because none can do it. And this man demonstrated it. And it's not about much work, how much you can do for the Lord, because it's never enough. And then Peter says, well, we've given up everything to follow you. What then will we have? And Christ wants them to know, you'll have more than you could have ever earned in this lifetime. You will gain more than the rich man would have ever given up. And you will gain more than you could ever give up. And that's why Christ says, many who are first, which they looked at the rich man and thought, if anybody is going to be at the head of the line going into heaven, it's this guy. And Jesus says, no. Many who are first in this world, like the rich man, who have an assumption that they are enjoying God's favor because they're rich and because they've been obedient, no, they'll be last. In fact... I think what Jesus means by last here is those who the world looks down upon like the disciples, those little guys won't be at the head of the line. They're a bunch of nincompoops. They're, they're fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot. No one would ever put them at the front of the line. And Jesus says, just watch and see. The last. that No one would ever think would be in the kingdom of heaven. They'll be there. And the first, the ones that everybody thought were going to be the ones at the head of the line, nope, they won't even be there. If you want to understand this a little bit better, there's a a parable about the rich man and Lazarus and how when the two of them die, they go the direction that most people don't think. Lazarus goes to heaven and the rich man goes to hell. Now, this is not about salvation by riches, but it helps you to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. So I do want to say this before we go any further. What Jesus is going to, to get across to the disciples today with this parable is this. Grace is neither earned by... Your merit. Merit meaning what I can do that's good. Your grace is neither earned by your merit nor forfeited by your demerit. I want to illustrate it this way. I never was in the Boy Scouts. Some of you may have been in the Boy Scouts. 
But uh, you work to earn what are called merit badges. You started a fire and you didn't burn yourself. You learned first aid and your buddy, I mean, we had to cut all of the, the, the bandages off of him, but you got him bandaged up, so you earned your merit badge. And, and, and they either are put on a sash or maybe on a vest, and there's just badges and badges and badges showing how much merit you earned. Grace is not like that. You don't earn merit badges of grace. Neither can you forfeit grace by screwing up. Think about a soldier who has entered the military and has advanced through his ranks. He's not where he started. He's achieved some higher ranks, but he gets in trouble. And he gets busted down to the very bottom rank. And they talk about ripping his stripes off. There's nothing person who is saved by grace can do to have their stripes removed. So Jesus tries to get his disciples to understand this. He tells a parable and he starts out like this. And I'm going to paraphrase. If you want to understand the kingdom of heaven and how it works, because obviously you guys don't quite get it, the kingdom of heaven is like a master. kingdom of heaven is like a master. And I pause right there because I want to make sure that we all see the Master's gracious work. That's the title of the sermon. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to these disciples. That it's, it's not about what you do, I do. It's about the Master's gracious work. It's about His grace that you could never earn and you can never forfeit by screwing up so bad if you are really in Christ. So let's look first at the, at the Master's gracious work through His particular action. If you have your Bible open, you look at at, at chapter 20, verse 1, and and right above it in the English Standard Version, it has a title. Now, those are not inspired in any way, shape, or form, but the one in the English Standard Version says, Laborers in the Vineyard. Well, I just think a better title is The Master's Gracious Work because it's not so much about the laborers or the vineyard. It is about the master. He's center stage, not the workers. He's central. The workers are the recipients of his action. Notice in verse 1, it says, The master went out early in the morning. Now, you look in verse 8, and it says that there's an, the owner of the vineyard, the master, said to his foreman. The owner of the, of the vineyard, the master, didn't send his foreman. He went out. He's the one that took the lead. He went out. Verse 2. The master agreed with these laborers he was hiring for a denarius a day. And then he, verse 2, sent them into his vineyard. Then he goes back out the third hour and he sees others standing idle. And in verse 4 he says, you go to the vineyard. Whatever is right, I'll give you. The fifth, in the, in fifth, the fifth verse, he does the same thing the sixth hour, the same thing the ninth hour. And then it gets to the 11th hour. He goes out and he finds others standing. And he says, okay, you go to the vineyard too. You go. And then in verse 8, he's the one that takes the initiative to tell the foreman, call the laborers and pay their wages. See, it's not about what the workers do. It's about the master's gracious uh, action, gracious work in his particular action. And and here's how I want you to think about this, to frame this as we move through this, this passage of Scripture. It's the master's particular action toward those in need. Toward those in need. So we've seen the the master's gracious work in his particular action. Now we see it in his promise. Look at verse 2. It says again, After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Let's talk about the laborers first. These laborers would have been day laborers. It would have been people that we would have considered indigent. They might have actually been seasonal laborers. But the point of it is is that that they didn't have regular work. They weren't weren't slaves that always knew what they were going to be doing, never had to wonder, not servants that were employed by a master. They weren't people that had a a steady job and a steady source of income. No, they didn't have any of that. Maybe they were unemployable. For various reasons. Perhaps they were, for whatever reason, unable to hold down a steady job. But every day, or during this day, the master goes to the marketplace and finds people there that have hope 
that someone's going to come and hire them. It's when, when it describes going to the marketplace, imagine going to the unemployment office. You're, you're, at, you're at wit's end. You're at the end of your rope. You've got to find something. That's what the marketplace is. Go there and you should find work. But here's what I want to press upon us. Of all the things that we could say about these laborers, this is what we need to keep in mind. These people, these laborers, could not meet their own need. Verse 3 says, they were standing idle. Now, when it says others standing idle, so we presume when the master went out early in the morning that he found people standing idle. And going back over and over again, he finds people standing idle, unable to work because they haven't been hired and, and therefore unable to have their need met. And if you pass that on down as it trickles down, if, they, if their need for a denarius a day isn't met, they can't feed their families. So the master promises, come with me and I'll meet your need. Verse 2, after agreeing with the laborers. That word for agree is the Greek word symphoneo. You might might hear something there, symphony. Now, you understand there's there's harmony in a symphony. There's no off notes. But that's, that's not really... If you were to use a Bible dictionary and look up particular Greek words... You have to kind of understand that different definitions or words will mean something a little different in context. So here, instead of talking about so much harmony, it's talking about that there is a contractual agreement between the master and the laborer. And so the master agrees that he will meet their need. A denarius a day, that's what these people needed. And a denarius would take care of a worker and his family for a day. And that's what the master promised to do. Come with me and I'll meet your need. Notice again also the master's gracious work through his persistence. Now, verse 1, notice he begins his work early in the morning. That's what it says. We, we would think of that time as 6 a.m. He was, uh, you know, early bird gets the worm. He, he was up before the birds started chirping. He was out in the morning, early, as soon as possible in the day. And he finds some laborers, and he puts them to work. Now, the parable doesn't say, Jesus doesn't let us know why the master returns to the marketplace. All that he says is, the master made one trip, and then he went back a second time. Now, it doesn't say here that the master somehow just didn't realize how much the, how, how extensive the work was, and that he was going to need more laborers. It's not, it's not that. In fact, as we look at this parable, we discover the master's need for workers isn't the real issue at all. It's about the master meeting the needs of those standing idle, those who are unable to meet their need. So he goes early in the morning, verse 1, verse 3. He comes back to the marketplace at the third hour, that's 9 a.m., And he sees others standing idle. And he calls the needy to go and work in his vineyard. Verse 5, he returns once again to the marketplace uh, at the sixth hour, which is noon, and at the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. And every time he goes, what does he find? He finds people standing idle, needy, and without the means to meet their need. And each time he calls them. And it's at this point here when, when the parable slows down. Here's what I mean by that. And, and you can see this if you, if you use a New American Standard Bible. And, and maybe some others do this as well. I'm not, I'm not aware of this. But a New American Standard Bible, on, um, in verse 6, the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing and he said to them. That's actually in, in it's not a past tense. It's, it's a present tense. Now, this is, what, this is what I want to focus on on this. What, in the New American Standard, you may have a little star or an asterisk to let you know that it's been translated past tense, but it's actually a present tense. Why does Jesus do this? 
He's talked about the details of the master doing what he does. And then he wants to slow down and draw specific attention to part of the parable. So he changes the tense. He brings the disciples further into the parable. And it's here that he says the master even returns at the 11th hour. The work day ends at 6 and the master goes at 5 p.m. Even those who could devote only an hour to the master's service, the master called. So I want you to see this. The master begins his work early and persists in it all day long until there's no more day left. He persists five different times going to the needy, calling to them and meeting their need. And Jesus slows down the parable because he wants the disciples to see this. What is it that, dis- that drives the master's persistence? It's, it's his pity. He looks at these people. He sees their need. He asks them, why do you stand here idle all day? Why have you been here all day? And they answer honestly, no one has hired us. And that stirs the master's heart. He can't bear to think that people are going to go without their need met. Notice he doesn't say, well, come back tomorrow. Hey, keep your chin up. Maybe tomorrow will be better. He sees their need. And even this late in the day, he does good to them. In fact, you see all through the parable, the master never tires of doing good to the needy. He's eager to do good to those who can do little for him. Which brings us to the payment. We see the master's gracious work in his payment. The parable records that The master of the vineyard calls to his foreman and says, Get the laborers together and pay them their wages. But start with those that were hired last. And then move to the ones who were hired first. And surprise, surprise. But let me back up. You remember that the master agreed with these people that started at 6 a.m. that he would pay them a full denarius. Twelve hours of work, they would get a denarius. After that... Those hired at 9 a.m. and beyond, especially those hired at 9 a.m., they were, they were um, the master said, I'll, I'll pay you whatever is right. And their assumption, I think, and I probably ours too, is that that would be less than a day's wages. Since they weren't working a full day, and because they only worked nine hours, they only deserved a nine-hour payday. Those hired at noon and at three, I think they have the same promise. At least we can assume that. And they only work six hours and three hours respectively. But those hired at the 11th hour, what in the world could they hope for? One hour's worth of work. Maybe you can go down to Taco Bell and get a $5 box, split it with the family ever how many ways. But they didn't have, what could they hope for? If you look at at who should have their need met. It's really those who had worked from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Everyone else, they were going to come up short. And you also might expect that the master would make sure that those who had put in a full day's work would be the ones up front to get their pay. Because you want to make sure and take care of them first. They're the ones that put out the most effort. You want to honor those that were on time, who bore the burden of the day, make a point to everybody else. So they'll do better next time and not come up short in providing for their families. If you had just been better, if you'd gotten here earlier, if you had, that's not how the master does it. In fact, he begins with the 11th hour crowd and he finishes with the all day crowd. And astonishingly, the master gives the 11th hour crowd a full day's wage, a whole denarius. He did it to people who did little for him, but he met their need in full, not in part. But in full. So we might think if the master did that for the 11th hour crowd, what's he going to do for everyone else? Surely the wages will go up from there. But he gave each worker 
No matter how long they had worked, no matter how hard they had worked, a full day's wage. Notice verse 2. It says, after agreeing. See, it's the master that agrees. He says, I will. Not if you do, then I will. He says, I will give whatever is right. And of course, we might think according to, to fairness, but that's not what it is. It's whatever's right in the master's eyes, which is in accordance with their need. Not from the worker's perspective, in accordance with their work. See, all along, the master fully intended to meet the needs of every person who responded to his call. That didn't make everybody happy, though. There were some people, those that were the uh, full-day workers, they got peeved with the master. They grumbled because they thought they should have received more. And notice how it says in the text, it's... um, uh, Verse 12, you have made them equal to us. You've made them equal to us. Either we deserve more or they deserve less. They can't be equal with us. Do you sense the entitlement there? We're entitled to more. Or maybe there's envy there, a bit of jealousy. Maybe they're comparing, as people are prone to do. But the master hadn't paid with respect to their work, but with respect to their need. He hasn't paid in light of their work. He's paid in spite of their work. And why does he do this? Because it is his prerogative. When the people grumble at him, he says, I've done nothing wrong to you. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go, I choose to give this last worker As I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? See the master, verse 13, he says, I haven't done you any wrong. I've acted with integrity. He kept his promise. He agreed to pay the denarius and he came through. The master is sovereign over his affairs. He says, I do what I choose with what I have. I have the authority to pay this way. And I have the prerogative to be generous to all. I'm the master, he says. I have the authority to do this, and this is what I want to do. It's my prerogative. In fact, that's what he's wanted to do all along. So therefore, from the first to the last, no one would obligate the master. No amount of work would put the master in debt to a worker. The last to be hired who worked only a little would be treated the same as the first, and the first who worked all day would be treated the same as the last. Everyone who responded to the master's call would have their need met in full. And Jesus says, do you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? Look at the master and his gracious work. We may not realize it or not, but this parable... This parable of the gracious master and his work, it is a beautiful presentation of the gospel of grace. The needy ones, those that stand in the marketplace, unable to meet their need, no one will hire us, those those are lost people. Those are those that have not been born again. They are unregenerate. And that's all of us. From the fall of Adam... All sinned in Adam. That's what the Bible says. Paul says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not no, not one. And the wages of sin is death. We are needy and we can do nothing about our need. But God the Father takes particular action. In the Old Testament, when Adam and Eve fell, God provided for their need by killing animals and making clothes out of the animal's skins. He promised that one day there would be a Savior who would come. And in the fullness of time, God sent that Son into the world. And God the Savior, Jesus Christ, went to the needy to do the work that sinners could not do for themselves to ensure that all who respond to His call will have their need for salvation met. God promised this. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And God continues to this day to persist 
in calling the needy to himself. He leaves his calling card in nature. He provides rain to the just and the unjust, common grace. And why? For 2 Peter 3 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise about returning, as some count slowness, but listen, he's patient. And I would add, persistent towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And why does God do this? Because He has pity for lost people, Romans 5, 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God in His pity shows love to the unlovable. And God makes the payment, Matthew 20, 28. Jesus Himself says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, listen, and to give His life, to pay the price, to make the payment, the ransom payment for many. Why did God do this? It's His prerogative. Romans 9, 15 and 16. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It's God's prerogative. And so He will have mercy on whomever He wills. And others He hardens. That's Romans 9, 18. This is, Jesus has presented to us the gospel message. The the, the Master sees people in need. And He works to take care of their need. And He calls to them, saying, Come. Let me meet your need. God still does that today through the preaching of the gospel. That those who are in need, and perhaps that's you, perhaps you need to turn from your sin, your efforts to try to make yourself presentable, to get to the front of the line and realize that's not going to get you anywhere. It's only what the Master has graciously done for the needy that counts. All you can do is respond to His invitation. And will you do that today? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for a Savior who knows how to teach, who knows how to get the message across, who understands humanity, who understands how our fallen brain works, is patient and persistent with us by telling a parable to get us to see the the great glory of what has been achieved for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, if there are any here today that are standing idle, saying no one has hired us, I pray that they would hear the call of the Master today, saying, come, come, believe my promise, and I will meet your need. Lord, we love you and we praise you for meeting our need. In Christ Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing just when I need him most. Any sort of decision you need to make at this time, now is the time for you to do so. As we sing together. update on Addie Webster. Sue, do you know any update on Addie? I'm sorry? She's doing good? Okay. Praise the Lord. Judge is on our prayer list. and Praise God. Judge got to be with here, here with us today. Judge, we pray for you each week. If there's anything specific we can pray for, you make sure and let us know. Okay? Ben is back in Lano. Uh, ben Campbell. I encourage you to go visit Ben. And, uh, and also, Candace is now at Marble Falls. My understanding is that um, 
Granite Mesa is sort of behind uh, Home Depot. So that's a whole lot easier than driving around in Austin. So I know she wants people to come visit. So please work it into your schedule to go and, and even just drop what you're doing and go see her. She wants to see people. Uh, we need to pray for Chris Maddox. She had a procedure done um, on Thursday, Wednesday. It went well, but uh, she's experiencing some complications, and they're struggling to try to get her heart rate all straightened out. So pray for her. Um, continue to pray for um, Mary Catherine as she is still in Kenya serving the Lord there. Uh, Kirby. Um, Sam's granddaughter, she's gotten off the crutches 10, day er, 10 days early, so we are thankful for that. Our brother Larry, is, where did he go? He was right there. I'm glad to see that Larry was here today. You know, he had his gallbladder removed and just on the road to recovery. Uh, just make sure you encourage him, pray for him. Um, do you know an update on Porter Burke? Okay. Okay. So that's Denise's brother, who's down at MD Anderson, is going to be starting some pills uh, for his, his uh, treatment of cancer. Um, any update on Richard Reese? He's in therapy for the next four weeks. In therapy for the next four weeks. That's um, their grandson-in-law who had who was bitten by a rattlesnake and has just had a long, uh, long go. Um, any other updates? Okay. Well, stay seated. I'm going to pray. We'll stand in a minute. So, Father, we do thank you for this day. Uh, every person that was mentioned here today we know uh, has a special need in their life. And we know that you can meet needs far and above, far and away, better than we can do. You can do exceedingly, abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. And so we lift up Addie and Ben and Judge Lord, we lift up Candace. Uh, we lift up Richard Reese and Porter, Burke. Um, Lord, I know I'm forgetting some. Pray for Mary Catherine that you would meet her needs as she serves you in Kenya. Father, each, each person uh, needs a, a sense of your presence. Uh, they need to understand, um, not just mentally, but in their heart of hearts, that, that you are a good God and that you're with them, that your peace accompanies your presence, that your comfort accompanies your presence, that your strength does as well. And I pray that they would know that in great measure, that they would take encouragement from that. Pray your blessings on each one. Pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, before we end our service today, Caden's going to come down front and his family. Anybody else who wants to come down? Hello, Caden. Anybody else who'd like to come down front with Caden? We'd love to have them come down. Caden is coming uh, to present himself for membership in our church. You just saw that he has made a profession of faith. He has been baptized. Uh, and so, Caden, we, we talked in the office about the fact that when you come and, 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 and say, I want to be a member of the church, it's, it's almost like getting married. You're, you're entering into a covenant with the church. And you're saying that I'm going to look out for you and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to help you as much as I can in the church says the same thing. So, so do you agree that you will be that kind of member in our church? Caden said yes. All right, so church family, once again, we have the opportunity to say to Caden, that's the kind of church we're going to be to Caden. So church family, will you remind Caden by saying, we will, that, that you're going to walk in covenant faithfulness toward him. We will. Okay, excellent. That's everybody. Now, if we could just have a, a motion to accept him into our membership, it's been moved by Jerry that we accept him into the membership, seconded by Betty. All in favor, please stand. I'm putting you on the spot, and everybody stood up. Awesome. So, Caden, you're now officially a member of our church. I'm going to say, uh, we're going to say the Great Commission together, and then I want you to come by and welcome Caden into our church. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me.